Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update on some of the things that uh, I've been working on in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so that you can further your own education and understanding and learning about the Kingdom of God. Because that's what we're supposed to be preaching, is the Kingdom of God. I heard a Interesting story about a preacher who was just robbed in his congregation during services, uh, which uh, I'm not sure where it took place. It probably was a place like New York or something because men entered the, the church at gunpoint and nobody had any way of defending anybody. But he went up and actually, uh, they went up and actually robbed the pastor of what some are reporting is a million dollars worth of jewelry that he and his wife were wearing. So, and they robbed him at gunpoint. And, uh, I think his name was Whitehead. Uh, I guess he's a black pastor, but, uh, uh, his name was Whitehead, so you can probably look up the story. But, uh, he's wearing, supposedly, him and his wife at least, uh, were wearing some a million dollars worth of jewelry <laughs> while they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, that's astounding uh, that, you know, that people are actually, you know, like, how do you send out the collection plate when you've got a million dollars worth of jewelry on you just to go to church? And uh, what was his car? Was it Rolls Royce or something like that parked out there to take him home? Uh, somehow or other, we've gotten an awful far distance away from Christ, who was the king of Judea, who had been rich. That's one of the things we have an article up. You can find it at Preparing You, looking up the word, was rich. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was rich. It actually says that. Paul actually says that. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. And But wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus was born in the stables. And, you know, he was poor. And his father was just this poor carpenter. And That's not in the text. Not in the Greek text. That he was that way. And we know that his relatives were some of the richest. Uh, people in the Roman Empire and Jewish tradition wouldn't allow, you know, someone who was high ranked within the family to be poor carpenter while his uncle was one of the richest men in the Roman Empire. So there's a conflict there in the narrative because the Bible doesn't say that he was poor. The fact that he was uh, born in a stable, that you have to understand how homes were constructed in those days. And he probably, uh, Joseph was probably not a carpenter at all. The word doesn't say that he was a carpenter. Uh, he was probably a stonemason and he was, and if he went to Egypt to make his living as a stonemason, he may have been a, a very high, uh, sought after, 
expert in building with stone. He was near Caesarea. Almost everything was built with stone in Caesarea. And the word that they have that is translated carpenter is probably actually means a stonemason or uh, you know, a man who is an expert in construction. So the idea that he was poor doesn't really fit the actual biblical text. It fits the narrative. And, of course, now, for the last couple of years, we've, supposedly, a lot of people have been following science, but they're actually following a narrative that is repeated over and over again in the news media, and the news media is a notorious liar. There's very few news programs that are actually telling you the truth. You want to believe they're telling you the truth, but that doesn't make it so. When you actually look at the science, the actual scientists who are making peer-reviewed reports, and you actually look at the body of evidence, you find out the narrative does not fit the facts. I just shared on Facebook a Stossel report, John Stossel's report on fact-checkers, which are actually fact-blockers because of the tremendous amount of censorship. And I shared a quote from William O. Douglas on free speech, at least on the Stossel uh you can probably look for it. If you're following me on uh, on Facebook, you, you'll probably easily find those things. If you're not, that's fine. But, uh, but I do make comments through the week on Facebook occasionally. I have a number of people feeding me stories. And, and so that's one way I get things out. We also have a minister call every week. And we can talk about things there and... They can pass them on to their congregations, which is a way that we have, which is the way the kingdom was operating, that you weren't dependent upon the normal sources of news that were available at the time of Christ and at the other many times of the kingdom of God, because we know as we've gone over the prophets, which you can go look at some of our uh, examination of the minor prophets, also at preparingyou.com, uh, that the mountains of Samaria, which is a a metaphor for the sources of truth, had become corrupted and the people were not being informed of the truth because the mountains of Samaria, uh, Samaria, which is the mountains of truth, were failing the people. And of course in the media, the people are being failed regularly by the news media and also by the censorship in social media uh, that they're not getting the truth and they're being misled and they're being told lies and misinformation as if it was true and making decisions based on that misinformation which is causing uh, havoc with their future and the future of their children. They don't know it because what they think is a source of truth has fallen. It's not really a source of truth. Not that the media ever was a real ultimate source of truth, but you used to have a number of opinions in whatever you had as your media, newspapers, what have you. What did Jefferson say? That if you uh, don't read the paper, you're uninformed, but if you do read the paper, you're misinformed. And, of course, there's always been a certain amount of misinformation coming from whatever we use as sources of media. But if it was not censored, this is why free speech was so important. If it was not censored, 
you could be misinformed by one media and properly informed by another media. And of course, in those days uh, of Jefferson, most people were informed by word of mouth. There were pamphleteers like Thomas Paine and, and other people that were publishing. But it was the word of mouth because everybody didn't buy a pamphlet. Everybody didn't read these things, but people read it and then they talked about it. They had communication because there wasn't social distancing. They could actually talk to one another. <laughs> so they did talk to one another and they found out through face-to-face communication, not Facebook communication. Because Facebook, you don't actually have face-to-face communication. And then evidently, when you try to have face-to-face communication on Facebook, you're censored. Your sources of information are censored, intentionally censored to fit not the truth, but a narrative. So you have to create for yourselves alternative forms of communication if you want the truth to get through. Because we know they don't want the truth to get through. But of course, that means that lies will get through as well. And they will be repeated over and over again because the people you know may be lying to you or may be misinformed. Maybe, you know, have not correctly interpreted the facts that they received and receive all the facts. So ultimately, what you're going to need to rely on is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an emotional spirit. As a matter of fact, most of the time, there's very little emotion involved with the Holy Spirit. It's actually, the Holy Spirit, sometimes if I look at where it appears in history, it seems to cancel emotionalism. It eliminates emotionalism because emotionalism, that that is a tool of the tree of knowledge. That is a tool of Satan himself to emotionalize you so that you're neither using your common sense or reasoning but neither are you using the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not stimulated by emotion. It's stimulated by the Spirit. It's outside of the realms of emotion. And when you have a conviction based on the Holy Spirit, it will be notoriously unemotional and not involved in emotion. You will be at calmest of states of mind. But anyway, so that's a little hint. Uh, we can talk more about that later. Uh, but I wanted to tell you some of the things that you can look up during the week and take notes now so everybody can get a little pencil or, or write it in their phones or whatever <laughs> and get some notes on some of the changes and additions that we've made to sources of information at Preparing You. And uh, so... Some of the pages that we worked on is like White Fragility, uh, which was, uh, and I, I talked last week, I, I mentioned that uh, Supremacy was another page that we created, uh, which has to do with this, you know, uh, white fragility and white supremacy that people talk about all the time. And uh, I added a video there by uh, John uh, McWhorter who's looked into this idea of white fragility and, and the philosophy that goes along with it. And he had a different take. He's an opposing opinion. I don't agree with everything he says. But this is what is important about free speech is that you hear 
what everybody has to say. This is why you're you're supposed to be gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You gather in ten families, as Christ commanded. That's right, Christ commanded. That somebody on Facebook said that somehow I'm imposing my religious ideology on people by saying that we should gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. No, I'm just saying what Jesus commanded his disciples to make the people... Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands at a, a critical point in his ministry where there were 5,000 uh, men and their families. We're talking 20, 30,000, 40,000 people could have been there. I just saw a movie. Uh, I was convalescing a little bit, so I put in a movie that I didn't mind falling asleep in. I ended up not falling asleep in it. <laughs> but it was called The Son of God. It's some sort of religious production. I don't know who put it out. Uh, but uh, and it went through a number of scenes, and I, I took some notes on it, and we'll, we may discuss it at a, a shorter show. But uh, they came on a scene, and they put so many things out of order and out of context. And I thought, like, you know, if you're going to make a show about Jesus, you ought to at least stick to the basics. But they think they have, I don't know, uh, artistic, uh, you know, license to change a great deal of things and they don't realize how much they're changing because they don't really understand the gospel to begin with. But supposedly he, he's crossing, you know, the Sea of Galilee or someplace and they come over this hill and there's just thousands of people all crammed into this open area, uh, that's supposedly in the countryside. And I mean, they are crowded in there. No social distancing in that crowd whatsoever. But it's, you know, the filmographer is trying to make it look like there's lots and lots of people. And they're all surprised to see these people. That is just simply not in the original context uh, of the story. But there were 5,000 people in their families. So there's a lot of people gathered somewhere in the wilderness at a particular time of year. And there's some dispute over that because of the translation of one word that some people translate into green as green grass, but others translate it into yellow grass. Well, that would, if the grass was turning yellow already, then it's a different time of year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they come to these conclusions and you think, well, that's not important what time of year it was. Well, it could be because if the grass is green, it's not the Feast of Tabernacles. But if the grass is yellow, it's probably the Feast of Tabernacles because of the time period that the Feast of Tabernacles would take place. And that was one of the big convocations that Jews would all known about, would all come out with their families and gather together with particular ideas in mind, which was one of the things that they did on these big convocations in Jewish traditions, in the Israelite tradition, was they organized their tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because they were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands as well. They knew that before they left Egypt. They knew that because in Egypt, people were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The difference in Egypt, it was from top down. And in, in early Israel and early Christianity, it was from bottom up. But they were still organized because if they weren't organized, there could be no daily ministration to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of society. You know what would happen if you did not organize in such a fashion? 
you would find people that go to your church dead in their apartments for three weeks sitting in a chair and nobody checked on them. That's what would happen. Oh, wait a minute. That already happens. Because <laughs> we've already abandoned what Christ commanded, which was to organize ourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So, another byproduct of not organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, if you did fall on hard times, you know, you fell off a ladder, uh, you know, they shut down your business because of COVID, <laughs> and you found yourself in need, you would have to go to the men who call themselves benefactors, who exercise authority one over the other to get any kind of aid or help or receive any kind of charity. It wouldn't be real charity. It would be legal charity. But you could get it from the men who exercise authority, the fathers of the earth, the men who call themselves benefactors but force the contributions of your neighbor and what we would call a covetous practice. That's what you would have to do if you were not organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Like Christ commanded his disciples to make the people do. Can you imagine Peter going around saying, everybody, I'm going to tell you, everybody needs to sit down in small groups of ten men who are heads of families, which by the definition of the word would be ten elders, Heads of families, sit down in that groups uh, and organize yourself in ranks of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It's actually tens, hundreds, and fifties, and thousands uh, because of the fact that there were five thousand. So that's somewhere you're going to get the, the uh, Greek idea of fifties because you got ten families gathered together. They connect themselves with ten other families, ten other groups of ten families. So that's a hundred, and then you do that fifty times, and you got five thousand. So that's what they were doing, and they, that took more than five or ten minutes in the movie, Son of God. They're all just a giant mob, and so they supposedly bring this little basket of bread and. And fish and lay it before Jesus and he says a prayer and then suddenly there's all kinds of baskets of fish and bread. And they start handing out the mob. Everybody's reaching over and just grabbing the food and grabbing the food and it's an absolute mob of people. And they're just passing this out to everybody. They don't know if everybody's getting enough. There could be some little old lady in the crowd. She's already fainted and they don't even know because they're so jammed in there. They're so completely unorganized. There could be people who were crippled their way to the outside and nobody ever brings them any food and they just die. You know, because that's the way the movie made it look. So that must be the way it is. No. Christ was making sure that everybody took back their responsibility to make sure that everybody got a fair share. And the only practical way of doing that is to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Which they have done. And the Danes did it. The Jutes did it. The Teutons did it. The, the Romans did it with their system of hearths. They didn't always divide up into ten families, but it was always a number like ten or twelve or, you know, and certainly it could be eight in one group until they get nine and ten. <laughs> so, 
But they did this because it was a way not only of taking care of the needy of society, but of communicating, having those conversations and and sharing news because every 10 families was connected to 90 other families. So they had a network of communication independent of the heralds and media uh you know magnets of uh, of their day because they had a way of getting information around proclamations etc heralds etc and we could go into exactly how that all worked throughout the ages but that's what you were doing your your minister was not in charge of your particular soul or salvation he was a connection point to the 90 other families who were also sitting down in groups of 10 to have conversations in those groups and so that they would have the discussions and sometimes those discussions could get to be hot discussions very complex discussions uh, trying to find out what the truth is and uh, having different opinions about it. But something still has to bind them. And what bound them was the daily ministration. Which was an expression of caring for one another. It literally, what they shared in that daily ministration. Based on the perfect law of liberty. In the practice of pure religion. Unspotted by the world. Pure religion was taking care of the needy of your society. Unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of government of Claudius and Nero and and Caesars and Corinth and and Galatia. You didn't depend upon those men who called themselves benefactors, those fathers of the earth, who were passing out free bread. You didn't look to them. You went to church. You went to your local congregation, which was connected with all the other congregations from Judea to Greece. And from Greece to Ephesus, and from Ephesus to northern Africa. So that you see right away in Acts, when there was a dearth in the land way over in Greece, or way over in Syria, or maybe in Jerusalem, they were taking up collections to purchase food, to purchase supplies, to ship them by ships, to go all the way to these other locations. And they, that's how they did it. You know, just recently, uh, I read an article about a ring being discovered in uh, a uh, shipwreck off the coast of uh, Israel, uh, the modern-day Israel, uh, near Haifa, I guess. And uh, that ring was uh, someone suspected that it was 1,850 years ago that the the ship sunk. And they found in it some Roman era coins. And the coin was bronze. It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. It was a bronze coin. And there was a reason for that. Because what's happening today in America was happening back then. And we'll talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So don't go away. Be right back.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, what was uh, uh, this coin all about that they found in the water? It was 1,800 and some odd years ago. It was minted. It was actually minted under the uh, rulership of Antonius Pius, who was the emperor directly before Marcus Aurelius. He was also the emperor that Justin the Martyr wrote to in his apology, explaining how Christianity worked. We have an article at Preparing You on Justin the Martyr, so you can understand what Justin was telling uh, Antonius Pius. And what was going on in Rome at that time. And actually the coin itself wasn't even uh, minted in Rome. It was minted in Alexandria. And, uh, uh, the, you know, the, there was a, the, there's actually an article up uh, on the internet where you can look up traveling from Moneta to Alexandria <laughs> in 2022. Well, what is, what is Moneta? Well, there was the Temple of Mineta in Rome, and what did they do in that temple? I mean, it was a it was a pagan temple, so I mean, they obviously did pagan things in the Temple of Mineta. And of course, if you look up our article on temples, you'll find out what they were doing in the Temple of Mineta, uh, which is where we get the word money from the Temple of Mineta, because the Temple of Mineta was a mint. That minted coins, and normally it minted a lot of the coins for the emperors. But Antonius Pius had his coin minted in Alexandria. So what was that all about? Well, uh, you know, Caesar didn't put all his gold in the same bank. <laughs> and so he had some gold in a temple in Mineta in Alexandria. And so... Uh, uh, we have a, a Alexandria in uh, uh, Louisiana, and we have a Manetta in Virginia. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's modern times. Back then, you have to understand that the temples were government buildings providing services for the people, and one of the services was to mint gold. But the coin that was found was not gold. It was bronze. Why wasn't it gold? Why wasn't it silver? I mean, it was a coin. They got all the trouble of minting it. That they're making it out of bronze. Well, bronze isn't as valuable as gold and silver. Well, you, those of you who listen on a regular basis know that under uh, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, they took 10% of the silver out of the Roman silver coin. They minted it. You know, she was... It could have been minted. I can't remember where her coin was minted, the Marcus Aurelius, and uh, but it very possibly was minted also in Alexandria. Because once you have a facility to mint coin, then uh, people will use that facility to mint coin in the future. I mean, in the Temple of Ephesus, minted coin, uh, just like Moneta was minting coin. And uh, when Jesus, that was another scene in the movie Son of God, where he holds up a coin, he says, whose picture is on it? Well, the reason Caesar's picture was on it, you have to understand, people, somebody was telling me, he says, oh, you bring all of this history stuff that isn't in the Bible. Well, it's in the Bible. The detailed explanation of the history isn't in the Bible, but the Bible isn't a dictionary either. 
I mean, you've all read dictionaries or looked up words in dictionaries and you have meanings of words in your head. And when you go to read the Bible, you're reading those English words and you're bringing with you to the Bible the definitions of the words that you have in your mind. And that is helping you interpret the Bible. Is because you already have a definition in your mind of the words that you're reading in the Bible. Like religion. Like, uh, I mean, there's just countless. You know, like Pharisee. If I say Pharisee, who were the Pharisees? What were they doing? If I say King Herod, what was he doing? If I say baptism, what does that mean? Did you know that Herod had a system of baptism? Yeah, Herod was sending out ministers to baptize people into the kingdom of God. Yeah, Herod was doing that. It was that his kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, which is actually literally can be translated, the word kingdom of heaven literally can be translated according to Bible scholars, some of the top Bible scholars in the world today could be translated kingdom of the world. The kingdom of heaven was literally the new world order of its day as presented by Herod and other political leaders in Rome. They were using that phrase, kingdom of heaven, or kingdom of the world, because the word Oranus is best translated world from the point of view of Romans. Because the word Oranus meant not just heaven up there above, you know, the ether, But heaven included from the sky to the center of the earth. And the kingdom of the world was the whole world would be under one kingdom, one government. And Rome thought it was that government. And just like the movie Son of God, they never mentioned this in the movie The Son of God. They were kind of rearranging not only the gospel but history itself. But Caesar was called the Son of God. Yeah. That was one of the titles of Caesar, Augustus anyway, was the son of God. The Filius Deus. And then along come the Jews and they say, well, there is another Jesus, there is another king who we call the son of God. Well, that puts Jesus in direct conflict with Caesar. And of course the Pharisees said, we have no king but Caesar. So they were out of the kingdom of God, our God, the God of heaven, the God creator, uh, out of the kingdom of Jesus and into the kingdom of Caesar. So that would leave nobody sitting on the throne in Judea as the king of Judea. Except there was. Jesus was sitting on that throne, which comes to another part of the movie where he's tipping over tables. That's the famous scene we always see. Tipping over tables in the temple. Except for the word turning over tables doesn't mean he's flipping tables over and change is rolling on the floor. That's the way the movies make us think. And we bring those images to the Bible when we read it. But the Greek word for turning over the tables means to turn the tables over to somebody else. And the string whip 
which didn't scare anybody, it was just a string whip, was what people like Pharaoh and even Caesar would use, and they would put it across your shoulders and they say, you're fired, you know, like Trump. You're fired, you're fired, <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> and nobody could do that according to the Bible, except for the high priest, who at that time was Caiaphas, and he wasn't going to do it. And the king, David, since the time of David, David had the power to fire the porters of the temple, which would be the money changers of the temple. Because the temple was a bank, and we've explained that in previous shows. The temple was a bank, just like the temple of Mineta was a bank. And, I mean, they coined money, didn't they? Back to Caesar, I was saying the reason his face was on it is because that was his gold. It belonged to Caesar. He stamped his face on it because that coin of Antonius Pius belonged to Antonius Pius. And when he he stamped that coin, that was his. But he loaned it into circulation. It was supposed to come back to him. He wasn't casting his bread upon the waters. He was loaning it into circulation and had to come back to him in the form of taxation. But then he would loan it back out again and build harbors or build roads or build schools or provide health care. Because some of the emperors tried to provide universal health care. That bankrupted the system pretty quick. So they didn't do that for a long period. But under Nerva and some of the others, they did that. And, of course, that's one of the things they're pushing out. Because you're going through the history of Rome right now. You're repeating the history, but not of Christ and the early Christians. Most of the people who call themselves Christians are repeating the history of the Pharisees and the history of Rome. Because they don't really have Jesus as their king. They like to say that. But you would have to be obeying the king and doing what the king said. And they weren't doing it. So when Jesus was firing the money changers... He was going to say, now you get to choose new guys to work daily in the temple. But the way you choose them is through the tens, hundreds, and fifties, and thousands. And you choose them with your votive offering. Because in the kingdom of God, the votive offering was free. They given. And you gave it to the man you chose to give it to. And then he gave a share to the man he chose as his minister. And then he gave it to the... And eventually you'd get up to the porters of the temple. And that's the way you funded the temple. Which was... Most of the funds were already redistributed amongst the people down from the bottom up. Because that's where the funds were coming from. From the bottom up. But some would trickle all the way up to the temple itself. But that would not make the temple the treasury of the kingdom. There would be some sort of treasury in there, but it would be minuscule compared to the amount of funds used to take care of the needy of society. Because most of that was distributed already amongst the ministers from the bottom up. But when you make it from the top down, then most of the money goes up to the top. I have uh, in one of our articles dealing with this, and the money changers, you can look that up at Preparing You. I actually have some calculated figures as to how much their commission would have been in that month of Adar, that month of April. Because that was tax month, even back then. <laughs> and your money had to go to the to the government. And 
see, when you were a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, then the money would go to the government too, but most of it would go down there at the local level, which is where it was needed. It wouldn't go up to the central treasury and then trickle back down like the Pharisees were doing. You know, the word Corbin, the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. That word appears twice in the New Testament. But they don't translate it Corbin. Corbin isn't really a translation. Corbin means sacrifice. But they just put the word Corbin there and somehow or other the Pharisees Corbin was making the word of God to none effect. The word appears another place in the New Testament but they don't translate it as Corbin. They translate it as treasury. And, you know, I think that could be deceptive and certainly has been because you should have made it Corbin both times or sacrifice both times. But there are other words that are translated sacrifice. So leaving it Corbin would have been fine. But when you translate it Corbin one place and treasury another, you the average reader may not make the connection as to what's going on. See, that you were required to sacrifice to the temple of the Pharisees, and you were on a list of beneficiaries, but you were also on a list of contributors. So they actually had ministers, Gabi and Molkai, who'd go around and make sure you gave your fair share. It wasn't a free will contribution anymore. It's free will to sign up. But once you sign up, you had to pay in under penalty of law. And you made somebody else the ruler of your contribution. And your contribution was your sacrifice, your Corbin, was now put into a treasury. Which Jesus talks about your treasure where it should be. But now it's in the vaults of the Pharisees. And they call that the treasury. Because there were more than one treasury. But there was a treasury that they call Corbin. Which is where they put all the sacrifices of the people. You know, they talk about a riot in uh, that Jesus brings up in talking to Pontius Pilate. About this riot where people were bludgeoned. Where, you know, they had soldiers amongst... And they had that in the movie of Son of God as well. Where soldiers were dressed up like common people. And under their cloaks, they had clubs. They didn't want to hack a bunch of people to death, but they had these clubs. And when uh, the crowd started getting a little unruly, uh, Pontius Pilate gave a signal and the, the guys came out with their clubs and started beating the rioters. And some people died. A lot of people got bloodied because, I mean, they didn't pull punches. They were really sucking it to them. To quell the riots and scatter the people. And they were easily scattered because they weren't sitting in the tens, hundreds, and thousands either. Because they had been a socialist nation since the early rule of Herod. There was some socialism before Herod, but Herod really got the ball rolling. I mean, he's the one who built the temple. And he built it with the funds that you had to pay in in his system of Corbin, which the Pharisees helped him set up. Herod was the FDR of his day. Now, when FDR was setting up the uh, system of social welfare through compelled offerings, the legal charity of FDR 
which was expounded upon by LBJ and other presidents. There was still silver in the coins of the American money, just like there was still silver in the coins at the time of Rome when Jesus was walking around. Now, they had already set up banks, temples, where, you know, like the Federal Reserve, and of course that's what was happening as they were running into bankruptcy, and this led to a depression when they withdrew the money supply that you were dependent upon, which was not really a money supply, but these printed notes. And so it ran into this uh, collapse of the economy back in the days of uh, what we call the Great Depression. That, that's recently been in the news. Supposedly we're in a recession because they had two quarters that uh, GDP was retracting rather than expanding. And that, for years, that was the definition of a recession. When you had two quarters where it retracted in both quarters, consecutive quarters. But now, evidently, guys who said that was the way to tell you were in a recession, now we're saying, though that's not the definition of a recession. Because <laughs> maybe if they tell you you're not in a recession, then... You won't be in recession. It's kind of like if you tell people you're a woman when you're really a man, then you can become a woman. And if you tell people you're not really in a recession, then lo and behold, you're not really in a recession. <laughs> and if you tell people that paper notes are real money, even though it says on it that it was legal tender, which means an, a binding offer, that's the definition of the word legal tender, then... It's real money. No, it's not money. You can't even pay a debt with a note. Stanic versus white. But you don't know that because your mountains of Samaria are liars. And you're ignorant. You don't know. You lack knowledge. And that's why they tell you, yay, but for the lack of knowledge, my people would have been saved. Because they would have known, hey, we're screwing up. We're going the wrong way. And what we're trying to tell you here at the kingdom of God, which is wherever anybody does the will of God, because the kingdom of God is within you. We're trying to tell you that you've been going the wrong way for decades, generations. And it's time you repent, turn around, think a different way. There was somebody who I had a, a brief discussion with on Facebook, and he was saying, no, repentance is about being sorry. Nowhere in the definition of repentance at the time that it was written in the Bible does repent mean sorry. And he, and he says, oh, but I'm missing something because I'm only using this uh, this metatonia word that has to do with changing the mind. That I'm only using that word. And there are other words that are translated repentance. Well, in some Bibles, they're not translated repentance. <laughs> And most of the places you see the word repentance, it's not that word. It's the word I'm referring to. And I do cover it on our page, which I've added to also in the last week, on uh, on repentance. Now, repentance is about thinking a different way. If you think it's okay to go to men who exercise authority one over the other to get your daily bread, your benefits, at the expense of your neighbor... You, by definition, are engaged in covetous practices and you will become 
merchandise. Another way to say merchandise would be a human resource. Where you would go back into the bondage of Egypt and a portion of your labor wouldn't belong to you. If you went back into the bondage of Egypt, some of your labor would have to go to the government every year. Right off the top. If you were back in the bondage of Egypt. Fortunately, you're not, you're not in the bondage of Egypt, right? I mean, all of your labor belongs to you, right? You don't have to give up any portion of your labor to anybody else, right? Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, no, you've already entered the bondage of Egypt. You did that way back with FDR. <laughs> Where you waived a right to a portion of your labor in order to get benefits from men who exercised authority one over the other to take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. And you think you're following Christ? No, you're following Pastor Whitehead with his gold chains. Like I was saying, you know, do you, can you picture Peter walking around handing out loaves and fishes wearing a million dollars worth of gold chains and jewelry? <laughs> Yeah, you guys are so far. And you know whose fault it is? I'm not going to pick on poor Pastor Whitehead. I, th- I think I'm getting the name right. I think it was Whitehead. Uh, it's something like that. But uh, you can probably Google Whitehead or Pastor Robbed of a Million Dollars. It was CNN would say it was a million dollars. Somebody else said it was like $400,000. But between him and his wife, Supposedly they got away with a million dollars worth of jewelry. But that's not Christ. That's not somebody who was rich but made himself poor. And said to his disciples, you have to give up all you have, all your property, to become a minister of my, you know, ecclesia, my church. And you... As ministers own all things in common, we're actually, our job is to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. So that once every man belongs to his family and every man's family belongs to him and they belong to each other, they take care of one another in this sacred union we call family that was from the beginning, from Adam and Eve, one man, one woman, and their children. That's a family. That is the corporation of God. No more twain, but one flesh. But the families come together in free assemblies. They don't come together in contractual relationships where my family owes your family something. We're creating the bonds of a free society, so therefore all the charity within our network of congregations has to be through free will offerings not through forced offerings like the Pharisees were doing like Herod was doing like Rome was starting to do under Augustus Caesar now they actually started before Augustus Caesar but at first most of the taxes was not on the Roman citizenry they would have thrown up arms against that it was on the uh, uh, people like the Gauls they were taxing the Gauls and of course, the Gauls couldn't pay it, so they were casting the Gauls into slavery under the pretext. So they were they were taking from 
other people, their neighbors. The Gauls were the neighbors of the Romans. And the Romans at first wanted to prosecute Caesar for war crimes against the Gauls. Because he certainly committed them. There's no two ways about it. He committed war crimes. I mean, historians don't disagree with that. But he sold so many slaves, almost a million Gauls he sold into slavery all over North Africa and Rome and Greece. He was selling these slaves wherever he could get. He had one of the biggest slave markets around. As he's selling a million people, women, children, men. And so, what's he doing with all this revenue? He's, he's just got pouring in from selling the Gauls into slavery after defeating them. Well, he, he gave huge gifts, gratuities, and benefits to the Roman people. So, the people clamored, hail Caesar. They weren't gonna, they weren't gonna prosecute him for war crimes. Because things were good for them. Wasn't good for the Gauls, but it was good for the Romans. If America ever turned that way, the whole of America would go into bondage. Wait a minute. Let's see. Has America gone that way already? (laughs) Well, anyway, we'll have to return to Keys of the Kingdom and find out the rest. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So... What was uh, what's the significance of this little bronze coin they just found, and, and what else have they found recently? They found a couple of coins last year as well, as well as a ring, which I thought was fascinating. You can actually see a picture of it. It's a gold ring, octagonal in shape, and it had a gemstone uh, in the ring. It's rather a beautiful little ring. Uh, that uh, the gemstone had a carving in the stone itself, a, a minute little carving. If you blow it up, you can see the carving, and it, it's a it's a picture we see often on walls today of what you would call the Good Shepherd. So they believe that that was a Christian ring because that was a symbol common amongst the uh, Christians is that they would uh, the Good Shepherd because that's what the ministers were supposed to be as Good Shepherds. And uh, I've had a number of discussions uh, on that because of the fact that I am a shepherd and. People were saying that a, a shepherd, you know, they were telling me what a shepherd does uh, because they were equating that word shepherd with minister because the word that we have for minister is also translated shepherd in the Bible. And there's brutish shepherds. They talk about brutish shepherds in the Bible. And then they talk about shepherds that aren't brutish but are the good shepherd. So... Who are the brutish shepherds? Well, those are the ones who force the contributions of the people. Those are the brutish shepherds. And the good shepherds uh, are the ones who allow the people to the choice. Because we know that if you take away the right of choice from people, uh, you turn them into those human resources, those merchandise, the thing. I mean, there are just countless people, even people that work for FDR understood that. If you take away the choice of the people, then you turn the people into those human resources. And, and of course, that's what uh, FDR was doing. He was taking away the choice. But he didn't take away the choice by force. 
you voluntarily gave up the choice because you're waiving a right to a portion of your labor in order to get benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other. They may call themselves benefactors, but they exercise authority one over the other. And you signed up for that benefit program at the expense of your neighbor, and you were still calling yourself a Christian, even though Jesus said, you have seen the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. You are not to be that way. He said that, yet how many people have become that way, and why can't they see that that's a covetous practice and something they should not be doing? Well, why didn't the Pharisees see that the Corbin of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect? And the truth is, they did see it when they were told it, but they hated Jesus for telling them. Because they did not want to give up those benefits that come to them by the rule of force. And of course, way back at the beginning, John the Baptist is saying, you know, until John the Baptist, everybody thought... You could obtain the kingdom of heaven by force. This kingdom of the world. This new world order by force. Klaus Schwab thinks so. But he also knows, I don't know what he knows, but he could know, that if we just force everybody, there will be a backlash. Everybody will be fighting back. So we have to weaken the people. And of course, that's what they've been doing for since 1933. They figure it'll take 99 years total, 100 years, less than 100 years, to get people to such a weak state of disorganized, chaotic mobs that they can then enforce what they already have created, a, a system where you own nothing, and you're happy with that. Even though that your happiness depends on men who exercise authority and take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. That makes you happy. That doesn't make God happy. He hates those deeds. That's the deeds of the Nicolaitan, the deeds of Balaam. Because Balaam and the Nicolaitans are equated in the Bible as the same type of system. Which is absolutely logical and reasonable if you... If you read the Bible with some knowledge of the language, Nicolaitan means conquered people. And Balaam, in another language, means conquered people. And what conquered them? Greed. The desire for the dainties of rulers. Which Proverbs tells you the dainties of rulers are deceitful meats. David tells you, Paul tells you in the New Testament that to eat at the table of those deceitful meats, those dainties of rulers, those men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, to eat at their table is a snare and a trap. Paul tells you that in the New Testament, quoting David in the Old Testament, quoting Proverbs. About the dainties of the rulers and the common purse of socialism. It's all there over and over again. So I was just giving you a heads up on a lot of the pages that we've added this information to because you can, you can start talking about this from a lot of different directions. You know, the page on Federal Reserve. That's what the Federal Reserve is. It's a temple. 
like the Temple of Moneta. Except they don't mint coins in the Federal Reserve. They print paper. They create tessera, what the Romans would call a tessera. Fake money. Used as money. Not lawful currency, like gold and silver. But legal tender. A binding offer. And you don't understand how this works because you've been going to ministers with a million dollars worth of gold around their neck because you're a bunch of foolish sheep who don't hear the voice of the good shepherd who's trying to tell you to repent. Start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity like like John the Baptist was saying. You, you have two coats and your neighbor has none. Share. But if you're going to do it like that mob in the movie Son of God, you're you're probably not only not making sure the old lady gets some food, because everybody's reaching over everybody else and they're grabbing at the food like a bunch of shoppers at a discount table. We're getting something for free. Everybody reach in and grab a fish or a piece of bread. That's not Christian. That looks like the riots we saw last summer. <laughs> Guys just running, let's have free stuff. The door's open. Let's everybody run and get free stuff. That's a bunch of savages. That certainly was not a picture of what we see going on in Mark 6. Where everybody is probably spending a day or two sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. And actually, the word rank, or the word they trans, could translate into rank, it may mean something. It's organized. In, in this network of tens, you know, families, and then ten groups of ten families, and then fifty groups of all those people. So, I mean, if you had ten families, and then ten Groups of ten families. So how many people is that? Well, it could be several thousand people. But it's a hundred elders. But if you had ten groups of... Ten groups of families. Now now we're talking a thousand. (laughs) But if you had fifty of those groups, that fifty times a hundred is what? Five thousand. So that's what they're describing is that the people all organized themselves and the apostles required them to organize themselves in these free assemblies so that they could, when they start passing out loaves and fishes wherever they get them from, they can make sure that everybody gets them loaves and fishes because everybody's accounted for. You say, well, what about the guy who didn't have a family? Maybe all his family died. Well, that's a widow. And so that that widow would attach themselves probably to a single family. And that single family would be in a congregation. And so the whole congregation would care as much about that widow in that congregation as they would their own mother. And the same for orphans. You didn't need any orphanages amongst Christians. Because they took them into their families. 
Because that, that's the institution of God is a family. The church is an institution too, but most of the people are not members of the ecclesia. The ecclesia are those ministers mm-hmm. called out like the church in the wilderness to provide a social safety net for society. And there are certain requirements put on them by Christ, by his own words. If you're not organizing the tens, hundreds, thousands, you probably don't know the, what Christ was requiring of his ministers. I know Whitehead doesn't want to do what Christ required of his ministers. Because <laughs> he has a million dollars worth of jewelry around his neck preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the amazing, like I said, I don't blame him. It's all the people there in the pews that have given this man such ridiculous power. Such such a position of false information. And, and it's such an apostasy is a result of the people who, who love the benefits from the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. They, they don't want, those are the wages of unrighteousness, but they love those things. Because their heart is not filled with righteousness. It's, it's filled with selfishness. They just go to church to get their ears tickled. And evidently, uh, Pastor Whitehead, in the Church of Satan there, is pretty good at tickling people's ears. Now, I'm willing to forgive Mr. Uh, Whitehead. I'm not picking on him. It's just an example. I don't even know the guy. But he has to repent. Start seeking the kingdom of God. Stop doing the opposite of what Jesus said. Going against the doctrines of Christ. He can have all the gold necklaces he wants and walk around with them, but he isn't doing the job of Peter. He isn't doing the job of... Yeah, Peter didn't have a golden hat either. Or golden sheep crook. I can... I can, I have a sheep crook. I have several sheep crooks during lambing, you'll find them hanging in trees all over the place because they never know when I'm going to need to grab one. Because <laughs> some of the sheep don't stop. They they want to run around in circles and sometimes you have to hook them and say, hey, you better settle down. You need help here. You don't know you need help, but I know you need help and I'm going <laughs> I'm going to help you. Yeah, that, there was a little meme going around on Facebook. If you, again, if you were following me on Facebook, I shared it with people and said something like, uh, Lion is not concerned with the opinions of sheep. <laughs> and it showed a picture. Of, I think it was something out of Jordan Peterson. And uh, he's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Lions are not concerned with the opinions of sheep. <laughs> but they they are concerned with the opinions of good shepherds. Like David, who killed the lion... And a bear with his slingshot. And, uh, of course, you have to understand how those slingshots work. I've used one of those. and They, they can be pretty lethal. But personally, I, I, I'll i use a rifle. <laughs> so I said that uh, the lion is concerned with the good shepherd as well as with the caliber of his rifle. But, of course, ultimately, when I'm dealing with the sheep of the people, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm not using a rifle. I'm using the caliber of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you want to become a part of that, you need to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands because I'm commanded by Christ to require that you do that. You don't have to do that. I'm not going to impose my religious ideas on you. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And I'm letting you know, heads up, that if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Jesus said, that's a sign to me you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. Because your pride is what's keeping you from doing that. Because it's a free assembly. You can get up and walk away anytime you want. You can't get up and walk away from FDR's plan. You're you're bound in that plan. Your children are bound in that plan. Because you're back in the bondage of Egypt. You just can't leave. Now, you could have fled Egypt when you were in the bondage of Egypt. But you had to get all the way across the, the desert. Then you could head up to the mountains somewhere or up to northern Europe and get in with one of the tribes up there. And you could have been free from the bondage of Egypt. But the that's not what the plan of God was. Because all the people in the bondage of Egypt, the first thing they had to learn is to care about everybody else in the bondage of Egypt as much as they cared about themselves. They had to care about their freedom as much as they, uh, you know, the, the freedom of their neighbor, as much as they cared about their own freedom. They had to do that. And that's why God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh and made him stay there in the bondage of Egypt. Right now, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. I thought we made that pretty clear. If you want to get out of the bondage of Egypt, you're going to have to do more than fill out papers, which some people suggest, oh, well, you sign this affidavit and suddenly you're free. Well, you could run across the desert and you suddenly you'd be free too, but you'd be out in the middle of the desert all alone. I, I've watched over the years these guys who got this freedom packet, you know, you just fill out these. You get, you get the packet from me, I've seen it as high as a thousand dollars, I guess it goes higher than that. Then you fill out all these papers and you'll be free, but you'll be out in the middle of the desert all alone. That is not the plan of Christ. The plan of Christ is that you start caring about your neighbor's freedom as much as you care about your own. Your neighbor's children as much as you care about your own. And you do that by sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and actually starting to care about them. You're not going to overthrow the Federal Reserve. Which is just what we see Augustus Caesar establishing with his own Temple of Mineta. And, you know, we mentioned this inflation that came about. We mentioned it in... uh, uh, our article on sophistry, you can look that up. Our article on Augustus Caesar, you can look that up. Uh, article on welfare types, you can look that up. Real money, you can look that up. Money as debt quotes, I have a whole page of quotes about money. But the most important thing is that you learn to understand the kingdom of God. Because understanding the problem is important. So you don't pick up, you know, it's like being able to spot a snake. It's important to be able to spot a snake. And know somebody was asking me just the other day, is there another snake out here that looks just like a a rattlesnake? And, well, you know, what do you mean just like? You know, it doesn't look just like a rattlesnake, but I knew what he meant. Because he he probably saw what we call a gopher snake or a bull snake. And they have similar coloring to a rattlesnake. 
They won't have rattles. And they're a very aggressive snake. They eat rattlesnakes. And, uh, along with gray racers eat rattlesnakes too. I've seen, seen that personally firsthand myself. I'm not just reading some book. <laughs> I've seen the rattle of a rattlesnake going down the throat of a gray racer and a bull snake. Bull snakes are really good at it. But gray racers will eat them too. Cause they're really not very good hunters. That's why they needed poison or they'd have starved to death. And their poison is just their saliva. But anyway, back to, uh, yeah, there's a snake that looks something like a rattlesnake, has some similar color, and it doesn't have rattles. And they're actually good, and we never killed them. I've actually brought them on the place because I know they eat rattlesnakes. Because I've seen enough of them eating rattlesnakes to know that that's a real thing. <laughs> it really happens. So, uh, all snakes are, even rattlesnakes aren't really bad. I haven't killed every rattlesnake I see. I do remove rattlesnakes or kill the rattlesnakes that are near where children play. <laughs> but uh, uh, the same as I don't kill every coyote that I see. Because coyotes are good. They have a good purpose. And they have a good value to society. But you have to, uh, you know, you have, if they learn to eat lamb, they also may eat lead. Now, in the kingdom of God, that that translates a lot of different ways. And we have to understand how that translates. Because what's more important than recognizing the snake is recognizing the righteousness of God. Because that's what you're looking for. You want to make sure you don't step on a snake or fall into a pit or go into bondage. And so we talk about those things. But your salvation is Jesus Christ. So you have to recognize Jesus Christ. All those people sitting in those pews of Mr. Whitehead, they don't know Christ. They don't recognize. There's something wrong with this preacher. But it feels so good to listen to him. He's got great music probably in his church, and it's air-conditioned, and it's got all these great things that people like. Doesn't have the kingdom of God. Doesn't have the gospel of the kingdom of God. It doesn't have the righteousness of God. But it, ha- it makes them feel good. They like that feeling. Feeling good. Feeling righteous. That's not enough. That's not the way you should be going. You need to repent of that. Start seeking a real ministry of God. It's not going to tickle yours. It's going to smack you upside the head sometimes. With truth, I mean, Christ did it. You know, he did it with love. But he wasn't mincing words. Whited sepulchers, pretty pretty nasty stuff. Full of dead men's bones. You know, pretty explicit. Well, that's what we're trying to show you is that your apostate church is not really showing you the way. And you need to learn it. Because you... We show you that you've been, you know, while your churches, while your parents were going to these churches, the whole world has gone back into the bondage of Egypt. So, we've added all these pages, worked on all these uh, different uh, essays, 
you know, from, you know, somebody sent me the book White Fragility, and I read it, and it, out of that came the article. And I've added to it from time to time because I see little comments that people make about that book. You know, like I added to our page on Stages of Grief. Because, actually, I think it was something that uh, Jordan Peterson said, and it came across my desk, about grief. And so I added it to that page, my comment on grief, because he thought that grief was a sign that you loved uh, somebody. If you lose them and you feel grief, that's a sign that you love them. Well, you know, a bird that escapes the clutches of a cat feels grief. He feels sad. The bird got away. So grief in itself is not, it, it may mean that there was love there. I'm not taken away from that. But it doesn't mean that you love somebody because you miss them when they're gone. You know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure the, the, uh, Pastor Whitehead misses his golden necklaces <laughs> and his gold ring. Fortunately, they didn't steal his Rolls Royce that was parked outside. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you know, it's just crazy that we've come so far away from the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God that we don't even know it. But, you know, grief w- may come, like I said, upon us when we lose something or someone we love. Uh, you know, involuntarily, this grief will come upon us. So that it, it it might be evidence that we did love somebody, but was the love the love of Christ, or was it the love of what that person could give us, the comfort that that person could give us? And now we're not going to get it because the person is gone, and we we have grief because we've lost this source of personal comfort. Yeah, you see that the the devil is in the details, but the true evidence of love is not grief at an involuntary loss. The true evidence of love is sacrifice, which is the ultimate proof, because that's what I think he was saying, the ultimate proof of love is grief. No, it's not. It's sacrifice is the ultimate proof of love. Because it is voluntarily letting go of something you love for the benefit of another. That is evidence of love. Is sacrifice. Now. You can even go into greater details on that. Because when you pay your income tax. That's certainly sacrifice. But that's not voluntary sacrifice. That's forced sacrifice. <laughs> and it enriches the wrong people. Because it doesn't really pay for benefits it pays the interest on benefits because none of you are sabbath keepers that was another show i put in when i was recovering was one on uh, on uh i'm trying to think of the name of it i've got it in my phone somewhere but uh, uh yeah it uh it, it ended up being about the sabbath i think the seventh day adventist put it together and everything and they think that they're sabbath keepers because they keep saturday and so therefore they must be sabbath keepers but they don't understand, and we have an article, you can go to preparing you and read it for yourself. And if you think I'm wrong, you can let me know. But it isn't about days. It isn't about the counting of days, which the New Testament warns us about the counting of days. 
It's about debt. It's about working first. And all those Seventh-day Adventists who are meeting on Saturday are in debt. They're, they're not only in debt, but their children are surety for the debt of the benefactors that they go to when they need help in their churches, in their communities, in their families. They all go to the men who call themselves benefactors to get the benefits of the world, of the fathers of the earth. And they're only giving you what they borrowed against the future of your children. So, yeah, you're not keeping the Sabbath if you're in debt. Because that's what the Sabbath is about. And it's very clear in the text. And go read the article if you want to know. But we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, over the last few weeks, I've uh, worked on, like I say, a number of pages. And, uh, you know, I've upgraded our uh, whole series on Micah and on our series on Zephaniah and uh, uh, our article on Do Church and and The Way and... Uh, Community. We have an article on community. What is community? That's that's one of the things that so many people don't. The word community comes from the word communion, or communion comes from the word community, because the, the social bonds of the kingdom of God is the communion of the kingdom of God, and the communion of the kingdom of God is the daily bread, the daily ministration to take care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society. The the aid you offer to one another. In the name of Christ, which is sacrifice, which is the evidence of love, because that's what binds the kingdom of God together. It's not, well, in a way, it's a doctrine, but it's not, you know, written out catechismic-like doctrine. It's the doctrine of love, the doctrine of sacrifice. I mean, the same word for charity is the same word for love. Because charity is sacrifice. It's you giving up something that is yours for the benefit of somebody else. And if you take that away from society, you will start going down the road to destruction, the the road to tyranny. You know, when the people become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood and the property of others, they institute the rule of force and violence, not the rule of love and faith. And when they institute that rule of force and violence, they degenerate into people of violence and people of force. And they smash in doors and rob stores and beat people over the head. And the priests of such a murderous society will not prosecute those people. They will prosecute the person who defends himself or defends his neighbor. Because they're all under a strong delusion, which our our article on strong delusion, we've expanded that. Our article on apostasy, I've expanded that. Our article on the welfare state, I expanded that. And I do this because I have interaction with people who have ideas about the kingdom that just ain't so. And I try to be the good shepherd. You know, like our article on the Savior. Which tells you that there were two saviors at the time of Jesus Christ. That is actually numerous ones. But two of the most famous saviors at the time of Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ and Augustus Caesar. Who was called the savior of Rome. And he was called the son of God. <laughs> and Jesus was called the son of God. 
So they they were both known by some of the same nomenclature. And this is why it's so significant. Why are they persecuting Christians? Because they're saying Jesus is the Son of God. That was one of the things that came out in the Son of God movie. Is that the soldiers seem to hate Jesus. Now, it used to bother me when I was way back, you know, half a century ago. When I was, I said, why are the soldiers so angry at Jesus? Well, because there's no standing army. No professional army. There's a standing army. It's all the people. Who are got, I mean... What kept Israel safe was the militia. It was every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. That's what the militia is in the United States. You, you don't have to join anything to be a part of the militia according to statutes. According to the statutes of the United States, the U.S. codes of the United States, Rittenhouse was a member of the militia because he was between the ages of 17 and 45. If I became a lawyer like my dad wanted me to become, I, w- I would have liked to have taken that case. <laughs> and uh, they said, well, he was acting like the militia. Good for him. He's 17. <laughs> he is the militia. Now, was he well organized? No. He was a little organized. He was well-intentioned. If he was well organized, those men would not have died that day. They didn't need to die. They would have not, the riots would have stopped if you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. If all the people in Kenosha and these other places were actually real Christians, there would have been no riots in Kenosha. If everybody who said they were a Christian were actually doing what Christ commanded, there could have been no riots in Kenosha. You have to remember most of the people that were arrested in Kenosha as rioters, which was not most of the rioters, because most of them weren't ever arrested, but just the ones who were arrested, most of them were from out of town. <laughs> they weren't from Kenosha. I mean, they were from a, they were from out of the state. Because they are organized. The bad guys are organized. You guys who think you're the good guys, you're not organized. And you're not organized because you're not listening to Christ. You're listening to Pastor Whitehead and these other... People pretending to be ministers of Christ, but are not doing what Christ said. If you were organized like Christ said, there would have been no riots in Kenosha. But you're going to the apostate church, which is why I expanded the page on apostasy. Your savior is not Jesus Christ. Your savior is FDR, LBJ, Biden, Trump. All these guys who exercise authority one over the other. Now, I'm not against any of these people. Same as I'm not against rattlesnakes or coyotes. I'm not, I'm not at war with coyotes. But if they eat my sheep, then the full caliber of Christ will come down upon them. But you don't know how to fire the Holy Spirit at the wicked of the world. Because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You have emotionalism. Now, to be fair, probably anybody who is still listening (laughs) after this show (laughs) probably has some been touched somehow by the Holy Spirit or or nothing I've said would make any sense to you at all. If 
you know, when my sheep hear my voice, sometimes they're a mile away when they hear my voice. Like the old story of Korah, one of our sheep was named Korah. And was and Korah was leading a whole batch of sheep off out of the kingdom, <laughs> down a road of trouble and misfortune. <laughs> and uh, I yelled to them from the top of the mountain. That was where I was. If you come out here, we'll walk up there. I'll show you where I was standing. And I mean, the sheep are just little dots from where I was standing. I yelled at them. I had somebody from New York with me, and all the sheep heard me and looked up towards the top of the mountain, which I should have been a little dot to them up there on the top of the mountain. The whole desert spread out before us. And uh, I could hear someone back. Half of the sheep, more than half of the sheep, turned around and walked back through the gate. I mean, they were 50 feet away, maybe 100 feet away from the gate. They walked back through the gate, because the gate was just wide open. They went through the gate. And we don't lock people in the kingdom. It's a free assembly. <laughs> and uh, they walked back in through the gate and were on back in the kingdom again. But the 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 blackface sheep, which we named Cora, which we kept her in the herd, even though all the other sheep were white-faced sheep. She bad, and of course the sheep that went back through the gate, they bad. But then she just put her head down and started heading away again. She continued on her own path away from the kingdom of God, away from the righteousness of the kingdom of God. <laughs> Very symbolic. And probably a third of the sheep, like the third of the angels of heaven, followed after Korah. And uh, I got on my Konea phone and uh, called my son who came uh, with a black and white unit. Who let the dog out. <laughs> so if you want to know who let the dog out, it was my son. And when the sheep saw the dog come, and they all got religion real quick, and they all ran back into the kingdom. <laughs> now, I don't have to sick the dog on them. The dog doesn't bite them anyway. Out there, the lions and the bobcats, the mountain lions, they do bite. And, they, and the wolves, they do come. And if the sheep don't learn to stick together... They will be eaten up. If they don't hear the sound of the shepherd, then the caliber of the shepherd's rifle will not protect them. So you need to gather together like Christ commanded. That's the article on tens. I added to that. The article on tithings. We have a whole series on tithing list and and tithing man and tithing. I mean, people you know people are still arguing. There's no tithing in the new church. Well, there's charity all over the place. And that's all tithing was. Tithing is a tenth. And of course the people are organized into groups of ten. So a tithing is really the share of your your tithing. And how it's called tithing is that, you know, if everybody tithed to their local congregation, most of the help that they receive in that local congregation will be from that share that they give to their minister who redistributes and rightly divides the bread, the share amongst the people to make sure that that little old lady and that mob in the movie Son Son of God doesn't get trampled or, or forgotten or the guy dies in his apartment and nobody comes for three weeks, which happens today because you're not organized. And if, if rioters come to your town, you all show up and the rioters are all well behaved. 
they came to a nearby town, I won't name the town, uh, during this whole, orga- I mean, they came in busloads. That's what was going on. Busloads of rioters would be bussed over by somebody's money who rented the bus to go into different towns to cry- cause trouble. Uh, they went into one town, I know, which is a highly conservative western town, and guys literally showed up on horseback, <laughs> rounded them up, and told them to get back on the bus. And they got back on the bus and they left that town. They went to another town that didn't have as much uh, organization skills. But the reality is what's coming, you're going to need a lot more organization skills than people realize. But tithing and conscience, uh, tithe of mint, uh, all these are articles. And you should understand it by the time you get to the end of it. And like I said... White Fragility, Jordan Peterson, Edict of Milan, Minions of the Masses. I'm still working on that. I added a lot to the numerous scientists, several videos, uh, updates of doctors like Dr. Cole. Uh, I really recommend the Epoch Times, which evidently Twitter has completely removed the Epoch Times. But even them, I find things that I have disagreement with. Ultimately, what I want you to do is become so familiar with the nature of righteousness and the care that we should have for one another, I've added to the page on care. Because you have to remember, the New World Order wants to kill care. We explain that in the article. And they do it with systems like FDR started. They kill care amongst the community. They kill the social bonds of a free society. And so you have to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life back into the spirit of the individuals of a free society by gathering together in a free society and learning what it is to care about others. You will not be able to do that if you don't also learn forgiveness, which again is one of those virtues of Christ. You have to learn how to forgive one another. You're only in a free assembly. Why are you so upset? Because somebody is not the perfect saint you want them to be. If you're really there with the Holy Spirit, something's going to start taking place. Those that will not have anything to do with the Holy Spirit will leave. Those that want to have something to do with the Holy Spirit will stay. Then they may come and go for a little while as they work it out. They all have to go home and chew on the meat of the kingdom from time to time. But you don't mix the meat and the milk. But there is meat and milk in the kingdom. But I can tell you this. That there was a quote I, I read. that in, uh, I was trying to think of who said it. I can't remember now. But I came across it just a couple of days ago. But uh, if you... Maybe it's Tolstoy. I can't remember. But... If you want to drive your enemy away, you have to love them. But you don't love them with that love that I was talking about where the bird loves the bird. I mean, the cat loves the bird or loves the fish. And when the bird gets away, the cat feels grief. (laughs) That's not the love you want. It's the love that Christ had, even for the Pharisees, even for the whole world. That he came that the whole world might be saved. So, if you can't even gather with ten people in hopes that they might be saved, how in the world are you coming in the name of Christ? See, if you're really bringing the Holy Spirit to the congregation, and you might have a touch of the Holy Spirit inside you. 
if you were really filled with the Holy Spirit, you'd already be gathering together with others. Because you would be coming in the name of Christ and you would be gathering so that the whole world would be saved. At least ten families at a time. And so, that's the nature of the kingdom, is to gather for the purposes of Christ. And and there, there's a form that this takes place in. And we see it in the early church, which is why they had a network of charity that reached all across the Roman Empire and beyond. Your home churches don't have that. 90% of your home churches depend upon the men who exercise authority, one over the other, to provide a daily ministration, which is nothing more than the wages of unrighteousness, the rewards of unrighteousness, which they talk about in the New Testament. It's right there. Of course, we written an article so that you can find out what they meant by that, showing you the meaning of the words and the context of the words and the context of the time in which the words were written. So that you have a better view of the kingdom of God. So that you're, if you go down to bring a bull snake on your property to eat the rattlesnakes, you don't pick up a rattlesnake in the process. So you can tell the difference between the good snakes and the dangerous snakes. And and that's what we need to know. You know what? If if someone tried to get everybody in in the country to take poison, you know, like the Kool Aid at Jim Jones's outfit in South America, want everybody to take the Kool Aid. How would you know that there was poison in that Kool Aid? You wait till somebody drinks it and see if they die. People were dying in those chairs and people were still in line to get the Kool-Aid and they stayed in the line to get the Kool-Aid. They had to let go of their strong delusions. Some started to do that and they took off into the jungle. Some wouldn't go off into the jungle. They went up and got the Kool-Aid. I want to see everybody saved. But Jesus was really... Clear the foolish virgins got locked out. That the the people who said they believed in Jesus but were not doing what Jesus said, get you from me. I know you're not. The people say, well, you know, the fact that it, that I require that people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Now I help all kinds of people all the time that are not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But just to give you a heads up, my priority is to follow the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty sure in my book, the Holy Spirit is going to tell me to focus on those people who are doing what Christ said. I still may go look for the lost sheep. I've got lots of stories about looking for lost sheep because I've had to look for a lot of lost sheep. (laughs) But uh, i got to focus on what the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart and the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart right now is that you need to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You need to find out what it means to care for one another like Christ did. Who was rich but made himself poor. What not that what Abraham did? Abraham was the heir to the throne of Haran. He would have been the king of Haran. But he gave that up to his brother Nahor. And he went off in the wilderness. Took many souls with him. 
and set up altars of stone so they could burn up sheep together. No, everybody who's been listening regularly, you know they weren't burning up sheep. Those are metaphors. If you think that God was telling people, even way back in Adam and Eve's time, Cain and Abel, to pile up rocks and burn up sheep to make God happy because he loves the smell of burning sheep. I have smelt burning sheep. I'm pretty sure God doesn't love the smell of burning sheep. It's a metaphor, for God's sakes, for something else. And we explain that in the article on sophistry, our article on articles, our article on clays, uh, clay and stones, which you can look up at preparing you. All of which are available to you for free. It'll only cost you your delusions. But, if you gather together and start learning where these articles are and what it says in those articles and help me fix all the typos, because <laughs> some of these repairs are just typos, because uh, there's a lot of hours spent in the middle of the night and early in the morning writing all this stuff. But uh, you start learning it and sharing it on your social media before we're all banned. Start getting people to gather together to create their own network that is not dependent upon the censorship of social media and Google and all these other things. Not even dependent upon the Internet. I had a discussion with somebody south of here about the fact you're not going to have the Internet all the time. By the time you lose the Internet, you better have another network in place. That reaches all across this nation and nations beyond. If you're in Australia, we have people in Australia. In New Zealand, we have people in New Zealand. Start forming these networks. You're going to need them. Just a little heads up. Knowing that history repeats itself. And so, I actually have a ton of topics that we could talk about. but And, and we may start doing that more about some of these other things. But, you need the basics. You need to you need to exercise the muscle of caring for others, which will mean you need to exercise the spiritual muscle of forgiveness. You need to exercise this spiritual muscle of God's righteousness in your relationships with everybody else. Love them all. Let God sort them out. Because love will drive out the enemies of Christ. If it is the love of Christ, I'm sure all those people that were in that church with Pastor Whitehead love going to church at Pastor Whitehead. They think they love Pastor Whitehead. And Pastor Whitehead thinks he loves those people. He also loves his gold. He loves his Rolls Royce. He is not the social welfare of the people. He sends them to the men who exercise authority. He sends them to the fathers of the earth, which is destroying their black community. I, I assume it's... I didn't see all the parishioners. The uh, Pastor Whitehead, he, he, he was black, and and the guys who were robbing him were black, but I, I don't know about all... I, I just assume, and maybe I shouldn't assume, but the reality is... is I know what we call today, I hate the phrase, black community, because we're all just a community of mankind. But LBJ targeted blacks 
with his great society of welfare for all by men who exercised authority because he knew he would capture their vote because they would become loyal to the Democratic Party because that's who gave them all the free stuff. But if you can't see that all the free stuff comes at the expense of your neighbor and of your children because it's all borrowed against the future in violation of the Sabbath, if you don't see what's going on, if you think the Sabbath is about counting days or it's Sunday or anything, it's about taking back your responsibilities because your rights aren't coming back unless you take back your responsibilities, not only for yourself but to your fellow man, which is what they were learning during the plagues of Egypt. They were learning to care about their neighbor as much as they cared about themselves. They were learning to exercise their responsibility to their neighbor. They weren't mobs reaching into baskets of loaves and fishes to get the free stuff that Jesus is handing out like some kind of a welfare community. It was about sharing. It was about caring for one another. Nobody would have been able to rob a minister in a church of Christians. The power of love would have stopped them. They didn't have it. But anyway, uh, join us at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.